Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 57 of the Comfort Films podcast. Tonight, we begin our holiday series, and to kick off our holiday series, we have the 1990 classic Home Alone. Now, Home Alone came out on November 16, 1990. John was 13 years old. And Georgia was 12, and it would have been 13 in about a month and a half. Wow. I mean, yeah. the, the connection. It's crazy <laughs> with us, right? We're right there. We're right there. Yeah, it's so wild, you know, our birthdays. You well, know, and Macaulay Culkin was like 10 when this came out, 9 or 10 probably when it shot. So not too far off, although I definitely remember thinking of him as a really little kid. Oh, yeah. He, he felt really small to me. You know, like when I was in eighth grade, you know, I thought I was really taking care of business. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was like the big man on campus. We had like a one through eight. So that's like the top of the heap. Yeah. You know, so I was at St. Mary's and we were having a good time. And, you know, I felt like a lot older at 13. So I could really relate to Home Alone with how he goes through this growth. Yeah. You know, like when he goes to the store and he brings the coupons and yeah. he's like getting these things for the kids. And he has to, you know, goes to the uh, buy a toothbrush and he needs to know if it's certified by the American Dental Association. <laughs> I love that because it's like this so kid-like thing, like that you think this is really important. Yeah. When as an adult, I've literally never cared to look and see if it was certified. No, I, I just want to know, was it in the package? Yeah. You know, how like, much does it cost? How much does it cost? Is it clean? Yeah. You know, these are the things. That's really it. But I, I that is one thing I really love about this movie that comes up over and over is like, you know, this little kid kind of on the cusp of you know growing up a little bit but having to play you know an adult and yeah. play like he's much more mature and macaulay culkin does a great job with that oh yeah and then we have kieran culkin of course is oh, fuller yeah. right? yes and he's so happy he's going to pee the bed he is so happy about <laughs> he's it just drinking down those drinks he's just ready to go i love it because we both really love the show succession mm -hmm. and of course uh kieran culkin is now a grown man playing roman on that show uh doing a fantastic job all the time so seeing him as this really little kid who is just gonna pee the bed and super psyched about it was hilarious to me yeah, I felt like we should, like, have seen a reenactment of this on Saturday Night Live, you know, now that everyone is much older. You know, I love seeing things like that. That would be great. Yeah, like, you remember the to-do list? Oh, yeah. Like, Bill Hader was a youngster. You yeah. know, like, this is the type of stuff we need more of. You know, like, Kieran Culkin is fuller now. Oh, wow. <laughs> would be great. Well, speaking of being a youngster, yes, we both were super youngsters when this came out mm -hmm. even though you were a little bit older than me i also felt like i was you know super mature because in my school once you got out of sixth grade which is what i would have been in in that year mm -hmm. you went to seventh grade and at my school seventh grade meant you moved up to the junior high high school building yes so we wouldn't be in the elementary school building anymore so yes i definitely at the time thought of this as like a kid's movie mm -hmm. That I was, like, way too cool for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> However, I do remember watching it with my family, really enjoying it. You know, my little sisters loved it. My parents loved it. My older stepbrother, I'm pretty sure. I remember he liked it as well. So, it was just, like, a family movie that everybody could enjoy. When did you first see this movie? 
Well, I first saw it at the theater. I, I saw it with one of my friends. And then it was one of the very early films I remember seeing in the theater twice that wasn't like Star Wars or Indiana Jones. For me, the big draw was the, you know, what, what haunted house. I mean, I don't know what you <laughs> want to call it. All the traps that he set up for the bad guys. Yeah. And again, yes, I was just like you. I was someone that wanted to be older at that point. And I had been watching all these action films with my father, right? So it's like when you go from like a death wish to home alone, it, it's quite a, a sea change, you know? So it was like I wanted things to be more hardcore, with the wet bandits and Kevin. Yeah. I wanted them to go like toe to toe, <laughs> you know, like a fist fight down the stairs, you know, crazy shit like that. That's, that's you, where my mind was. As you a thought youth. this was missing like a motorcycle chase. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that have been great <laughs> if like they opened the door and he just like came down the stairs on a fucking motorbike and a machine gun in his hand. Like, get out, <laughs> motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Like that language definitely would have been in the film. <laughs> definitely would have stayed PG. Joe Pesci would have loved it. it <laughs> It would have freed him up a ton, you well, that, know? Right. Seeing Joe Pesci in this film is really great because it just shows you how great of an actor that he is. Yeah. Particularly the one scene where he comes outside and he's cursing, but it's like Simon Flammon, Jammon, Jammon, Hammon, <laughs> you know? And it's like you think about, of course, Goodfellas, you think yeah. about Casino, you think about all these great performances from him. You know, and he's one of these actors that really loves to crack off with some great language. Oh, yeah. You know, like he and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Now that would be a party. Oh, my God. What if Jackson was Marv? That would have been <laughs> hilarious. Well, actually, you know, this is really interesting. Samuel L. Jackson was in Goodfellas with Joe Pesci, That's and they true. did have a brief scene together. But there wasn't really any time for, like, you Just know. no opportunity to invent new and creative curse words and phrases. <laughs> no, they didn't have time to cut up. And I think that's a missed opportunity in Goodfellas. Oh, you know? I agree. Yeah, well, I can't believe at the very beginning of this movie, when we see the house, we actually have Joe Pesci in the house. Right. That's something that threw me off. I was like, oh, is he a cop? Oh, he's security. Oh, wow. I didn't know Joe Pesci did these type of things. Like it was really a surprise for me. That's funny. Yeah. Well, it was a great setup because he knew exactly when everyone was going on vacation, what their security was. Yes. It was like a very smart thing. And, you know, we have to just call out quickly that this was written by John Hughes. Of course. Um, who we have revisited three times mm -hmm. um, in the show already. We have done episodes on Pretty in Pink, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Christmas Vacation, all of which came out before this film. Um, Christmas Vacation having come out just a little bit under a year before this. That's crazy. I mean, John Hughes, I mean, he was the king of our youth. Yeah, he really wrote a lot of movies that are appealing to families or, you know, kids slash young teens. Um, and definitely our generation uh, of the, like the millennial Gen X kind of cusp that we are really benefited from both the kids type movies and the family movies and the teen movies. Oh, it's perfect. I mean, one of the funniest things that I could tell you is like much later in life, much after, you know, Breakfast Club came out, you know, I was a smoker and my father was also a smoker. And where he lived in Pennsylvania, the cigarettes were much cheaper. So he came up to visit me in Massachusetts and had a carton of cigarettes. <laughs> and so I would laugh and I'd be like, smoke up, Johnny, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Like, yeah, smoking was fun. No, that's not the point. No. <laughs> John Hughes is what was fun. John Hughes was great. The smoking, I really regret. But yes, I, we I, all did. It was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, John Hughes had, you know, my youth. Everything is wrapped up right there. And we've talked about some of the really great films already. And, and there's, there's so many more. So many more. I was just looking at the filmography and thinking about, you know, the great outdoors. Yes. Uncle Buck, yes. which ties into this film, actually. Uncle Buck had come out the year before this. And Macaulay Culkin and, and John Candy were in both films. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it was Macaulay Culkin's performance in that film that I believe I read kind of inspired John Hughes to write Home Alone. Um, because there's this one scene in Uncle Buck where Macaulay Culkin's character is kind of talking through the mail slot. And it was very funny and just kind of showed off how precocious Macaulay Culkin is. And uh, it was pretty brilliant. I love Uncle Buck. I'm sure we'll talk about that one in, oh, in the yeah. future. Uncle Buck, Amy Madigan. Amy uh, Madigan is with John Candy. Uh, wow. She's so great. We oh. love her. We talked about that in our Streets of Fire show. Yes. Um, and I remember Uncle Buck was like one of my dad's absolute favorite movies of all time. He would like do impressions of Uncle Buck. <laughs> it was like his 100% favorite thing. So definitely a revisit for us at some point in the future. Um, But, you know, you could just make a huge list of the awesome movies of John Hughes that we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah, there's so much out there. And what I love about Home Alone is he sneaks John Candy in again. Yep, and he's improvising, which John Hughes really is not into. You Mm -hmm. know, Hughes was the writer, so he's, like, very protective of his script. But with John Candy, he did allow him to improvise, and he basically improvised the whole role of Gus Polinsky the polka gang gus polinsky what a great name what a great name and what a great monologue he has with oh, Catherine yeah. o'hara yeah the two of them famously worked together all the way back in second city and they remain good friends and you can just really feel that ease oh yeah and Catherine o'hara is brilliant because she's hilarious and in this film i actually feel that she's kind of the, the straight man you know she has to deal with her son is gone she wants to get back to him you know, she's the disciplinarian. She's the one that sends him upstairs to the attic. You know, it, it's a much different role. It, it's very straight and a film that has a lot of broad comedy in it. Yeah. I mean, and we know what she can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just as recently as like Moira in Schitt's Creek. Oh, I mean, brilliant. if you're looking for Catherine O'Hara to just go over the top, you know she can deliver on that. But in this movie, we actually see her very muted and real. Yes. Um, And she does just feel like, you know, this kind of frazzled mom. And it's absolutely necessary for her to be believable. Because if you don't believe that she could have accidentally forgotten her kid, then this movie completely falls apart. And I think that that is like the challenge of this movie in some ways because you see yes you know everybody's frazzled everybody's freaking out they wake up late the power went out there's no phones but even still you would think there's no way somebody could forget their kid and you know we see all the ways that it happens and and john hughes makes it make sense but without Catherine o'hara there to kind of just sell it you you wouldn't have this movie no, I, I mean, it's so well done in, you know, they have that neighbor kid 
Oh, yeah. That neighbor kid has that really funny bit where he's driving the limo driver's crazy or the van driver's crazy. Yeah, he has so many. I would have been that kid. I would have been the questions kid. (laughs) You're kind of the questions kid now. I am. I am. It's okay. It's thank you. We love it. We love it. I I hope so. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I like how they do it. that The kid's head is turned and they just think it's Kevin. And, And so, you know, we go ahead and we move forward. And it's just like. I really feel the the family element in all of John Hughes' films. You know, it's all these family, like, stuffed together in a house. Like, 16 Candles, everybody's stuffed together in a house. We have Christmas Vacation. I mean, that's, like, the maximum. I mean, this is massive, too. I think this is maybe the maximum, because it's funny, because we talked about this in Christmas Vacation when we talked about it last year, Mm -hmm. and how it's like, you know, you have this crazy, like, frantic insane christmas like this family christmas where the entire extended family is like shoved into this house and like you know it's it just gets so wild but in this it's like at a whole new level i i would have to actually sit down and count how many people are in this movie versus how many are in christmas (laughs) vacation so we can get an actual total um but in this because there are so many children right it feels a little bit more crazy because you have like all the kids at the kids table then you have the adults and some of the adults are not making life easy i mean like this uncle uncle frank Frank. (laughs) uncle frank stinks uncle frank is such a jerk that I was like, you know, if I was a kid and Uncle Frank was there, I would have told off Uncle Frank. Yeah. I would have thrown a soda at Uncle Frank. I would have pissed on Uncle Frank's toothbrush. Hell, I might have just pissed straight on Uncle Frank himself. <laughs> He's terrible. He is such a prick. He doesn't care about anything. No. And then when they find out on the plane that Kevin is missing, he's just like, la-di-da. He's you know very I mean? blasé about it, yes. Worst. And he called him a jerk for, yeah. like, you know, spilling stuff. I mean, it's like, come on, Uncle Frank. Like, you know, it, let he who's without son cast the first stone. We, you know, Uncle Frank has made mistakes in his life, but he's such a dick. Yeah, I can't believe anybody would want him around. Uh, And in that scene where he calls out Kevin when they're all eating and the soda is spilled, it's like you see every member of the family just staring down Kevin. It's like it turns into a Hitchcock film. It's It's awful. It's like they fingered the murderer. Like, it is him. And you're like, oh my God, you feel the weight of that. And I felt so bad for Kevin that, honest to God, when those people left, I was like, good for you, bud. Yeah, it was terrible. I mean, that was the, well, that's the tension in this film, right? Like, First of all, yes, you're on Kevin's side. You understand what it's like to be him. Sure. There's nothing wrong with him. He's just a kid. He's asking questions. He doesn't know what to do. You know, he doesn't know how to pack. This is a big trip, you know? When I was a kid at that age, like 10 years old, I hadn't gone like on an international trip to Europe. No. I still haven't gone to Europe, for Christ's sake. (laughs) I'm 44 years old. (laughs) But, like, you know, that's a big deal. You're, like, packing for a big trip. He doesn't know what to do. Nobody wants to help him. No, I've done this twice. I've done this twice. I I did it once when I went to Russia and then once when I went to England. And both of those things happened when I was in high school. So it's, like, this really big, big, big thing, especially back then. Yeah. It's just, like, you don't know what to do. And I can really understand being in such a tailspin with waking up late. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, and everything's going nuts and, you know, and and there's all this family so you're like not in this normal situation to no. begin with. But, you know, the whole thing when he gets left alone and he wakes up, you know, and nobody's in the house. Right. 
the the rest of the story basically up until his mother shows up is this tension between this huge fear of abandonment that you you know is a very natural thing to have as a kid Mm -hmm. and this freedom thrill that you get as well because when you're a kid you always have somebody to answer to you can't like eat what you want you can't do what you want you know you always have to do what your parents tell you and you always have to eat dinner with 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 the family you know (laughs) but when kevin's alone he gets to experience the thrill of being free to do what he wants but he also is you know starts to deal with like this abandonment issue where he just doesn't feel like he has anyone with him and you know kind of feels unloved but to to be honest did he really lose that much based on what we saw at the beginning no i mean they were treating him really bad so i, I my hope would be not to mention any of the sequels of this cuz i really don't know them that well that the family would appreciate him a little bit more now, you know, that they've had this experience. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I, yeah, I'm focused directly on this one. I know the second one, it's like he's in New York and, you know, yeah, whatever. I've seen That's, it, yeah, but it, it's not him. like this where with this one, I feel like I've seen it many times. You know, I, I feel like this is one that people reshow on television a lot. Yeah. And, you know, when you're watching, like, the Christmas movie Marathon on cable, you know, during the holidays, you'll see this one. And now it's on Disney+. Plus. Um, but the others, which are also on Disney+, Plus, I just never really saw more than maybe once or twice. Well, with this, I think the big thing is, especially now that we're older, is that the gag was fresh in this one. And, like, if it happens a second time, it's like, we need DHS. Like, this is no longer a comedy. <laughs> yeah. You are negligent parents who cannot handle having children, and you should be stopped. Well, and, I mean, they also have Buzz, and Buzz is horrible. Uh, Buzz is like a product of the Dursleys. Like, I swear to God, J.K. Rowling saw Home Alone, saw the character of Buzz, and was like, aha, here we go. This is the Dursley son. Because he is such a bastard. Yeah, he's a terrible, such terrible a person. Bastard. I mean, that's kind of the opening of the movie, right? Is him kind of telling this horror story about their neighbor. Oh, old, yeah. Old Mr. Marley. Um, and, you know, telling him that he's like telling uh, the other kids that he's a serial killer. And he, you know... <laughs> The salt that he's using to, like, salt his sidewalk. He actually dissolves the bodies and that and stuff like this. You know, it's kind of like just older kids trying to spook the younger kids. Oh, yeah. And that was huge. That was huge when we were kids. That happened all the time. Yeah. But, like, he then also it's just, like, really cruel to Kevin, like, yeah, uh, in an older brother kind of way. But he gets his because Kevin... Is I don't know how, but Kevin, after he makes all of these crazy traps for the wet bandits, pretty much is able to clean up the entire house, except for Buzz's room, who he, like, tears down the shelving, the spider escapes, because Buzz has a pet tarantula, (laughs) Mm. uh, who comes in handy at a pivotal moment with the wet bandits, but he doesn't clean up Buzz's room, he cleans up everything else. But not Buzz's. But you so. know what? Buzz, he earned it. He deserves it. He earned it. Yeah, it's it's really hard, you know, when you're being a kid and you have people that will bully you. And then it's like it gets you into this culture of when you're old enough, you almost feel like it's some rite of passage mm. to be a bastard to someone else. It, it's really weird. I know that this film is very funny and there's a lot of, uh, you know, good humor in it. And again, the comeuppance 
is really the payoff. So we need to have, you know, a slight, you know, yes. we need to have a heavy wronged person, you know, to come through and be like, I am going to put you through the sewer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh it's a different vibe. I mean, with, with this movie, what I also find really strange is, again, we have we have Joe Pesci and we have Daniel Stern as the wet bandits. And I just got to say that name is lewd. Like every time I hear the wet bandits, I go, wait, this is this is a fucking kids movie, right? Like this wet bandits business. I don't know. Maybe I got problems, and that's also something. I think it's you. I think it's it's me. Then it's me. Then well, because it's just because they leave the water on. That's like all it is. Yeah, but it sounds it sounds much worse. I mean, Daniel Stern's just trying to come up with as Marv. He's just trying to come up with some gimmick that'll be like their calling card. It's like very important to him. (laughs) That is funny. And then of course it comes around and bites them on the ass at the end because when they're caught. You know, every, you know, place that has had the water turned on after the burglary, they can pin it on these guys. So, yeah. Well, I also want to give a shout out to Daniel Stern, because whenever I think about Daniel Stern, brilliant and everything. But I always remember him and Chud saying it's a buck dancer's choice, my friend. You know, that's it. That's you know, excellent. Yeah, we, we say that like all the time in well, real life. So think about it. I mean, and again, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. OK, so he is like kind of in the sewers. So maybe that's like the genesis <laughs> of the wet bandits and wanting the calling card. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think I think we could be on to something here. All right. Um. So, yeah, the the bandits part, actually, to me, like. I thought that was a bigger part of the movie. When we watched it yeah. this time, I was really honestly shocked that like this kind of showdown between Harry and Marv and Kevin doesn't really happen until like the last like half hour of the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's like the thing that you remember. Like, I don't know if it's because it was in all the advertisements or, you know, if it was just that that was like the most exciting part of the movie and that's what you remember but there's so much more to this movie than just like the slapstick, like, I don't know, uh, like devices that he creates to kind of attack these bandits. Well, it's really an action movie. I mean, if we look at the bones of the script, this is an action film. OK, so you're abandoned by your unit, right? You have to hold down this entire fort by yourself. You have got the bad guys coming, you know, these tactical experts, you know, there's no one else around you because they establish everyone's on vacation. So it's you and them, and you are the person that does not have, you know, these military skills. You just have to use your smarts. So it's diehard with a child. It's, well, you know, actually, (laughs) yes, and it also makes me think about a movie called uh, Toy Soldiers, which I also believe was a book. You know, where these terrorists took over, I believe, it was a military academy. And those kids, you know, had some training and they did some cool stuff. I believe in the book where they actually wired together all their stereos to. Yes. Yeah. It's, so it's, you know, it, that's, I loved that movie. Also. It's great. It's, you know, Wolverines now. I, I don't get I Red Dawn. Came, I think, I think 
Toy Soldiers came out around the same time as well. Well, we had so many movies where we were the hero. We had to face these things. And I mean, this is a tangent, but something, why not? Cloak and Dagger. Do you remember that movie? I've never seen that movie. What? I don't think. What? Or maybe you showed it to me, but I don't. It's not like imprinted on my mind in the way that a lot of other movies are. Okay. Well, I, I mean, let's just say it's a kid who has to take care of business. That That's really it. <laughs> that I will say like nothing else. That was like a big else. 80s thing. Like, there were a lot of movies like that in the 80s. You're right. Well, and Cloak and Dagger, it's not funny. It's like he has got people after him with, like, machine guns who are mm. going to take him down. Like, it's, it's very hardcore. It's a PG-rated film. It's been a while. Um, again, I don't want to spoil it. But, yeah, I mean, that that's what we had growing up. So it was like we took that idea of independence... And again, you know, we were latchkey kids growing up. Our parents had to work, you know, so I had time every day, you know, during the week to be by myself and I'd be by myself up until nighttime. Yeah. You know, so it's like I got to experience like these kind of mini home alone like moments on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. because, you know, when you live in Massachusetts and there's like this woods behind you and it's dark. Yeah. Dark at like four (laughs) o'clock. Yeah, it's creepy. And snowy and, yeah. And then you have, like, you have your deck, you know, on the second floor behind you. So, like, you're sitting in the living room and you hear, like, some creaking and you think somebody's coming up, you know. And then you hear something in the basement. You hear something in the garage. You can't see anything. You're, like, you know, watching horror movies. Why did I do that? I don't know. I'd be watching horror movies and I would have, like, a knife on one side of me and a baseball bat on the other. And I was I was ready. You were ready. I was ready. If somebody yeah. came, you know, they were going down. So it's like I, I felt that. So I, I guess maybe it's like I wanted to see Kevin, like, play out, you know, whatever sicko hardcore fantasy that I had. <laughs> of like, like... <laughs> zombies from the woods. You know what I mean? Like, get them, get them. You know? Yeah, I mean, for me, I was older than my sisters. And so... You know, the age they were is a little bit younger than this Kevin character, and I was a little bit older, but I was, like, a super mature kind of kid. I've kind of been, like, you know, a middle-aged woman since I was, like, two, (laughs) and so I felt like, you know, that's maybe why I didn't relate to Kevin as much, because I kind of already felt like, yeah, yeah. You know, by the time I was his age, I had already been babysitting for like two years and I had already, you know, every time I was sick, I had to stay home by myself. Yeah. You know, and back to when I was like six or seven years old, I was like staying home by myself when I was sick. Um, You know, so by the time I was his age, I was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I would have been <laughs> just happy that I could be home by myself. I would have only had the thrill of total freedom feeling i wouldn't have had like the fear of abandonment feeling because i had already kind of gone through it at that point i would have been so happy that i didn't have to deal with you know babysitting my sisters Mm. that i would have just been like sweet i'm just gonna make myself macaroni and cheese well it's having that freedom was wonderful for me i mean what i used to do every day is like i would come home And I knew there was no one there. And I was like, yes, this is my place now. (laughs) And so I would just like hang out in my underwear and run around the house and like make microwave French fries and 
watch television. And as I've mentioned before, I'd watch that that pay-per-view because it had that glitch. Oh, yeah. So I would see all these movies, you know, that I shouldn't necessarily be watching because they were rated R. <laughs> According to my dad, we were okay if we kept on the down low. Just don't uh, tell your mom. <laughs> exactly. You know, that, that was kind of the, the thing, you know. So it's like... I had that, you know, I got to play with my action figures. I also would like, <laughs> I would like, I don't know, guess, uh, engage in training for later in life. I would turn up the stereo all the way and I would like lip sing and dance around the house. It's like I worked out these routines, you know, to all these songs. Okay. And like there were so many that, that I did over the years, you know, even going past like this this Home Alone period that are hilarious, like Don Henley, like End of the Innocence. Like, I knew what the fuck that was about, but I was trying to sell it to you, like Boys of Summer. Those like, were like my tunes when I was that age, too, so I get it. They're I great songs. Get it. Yeah. yeah, but it's like, you know, and I, I could feel a lot of it, and I knew it was great music, but some of it, it takes age for you to really understand. For me, yeah. it was like riding in the car, like with my Walkman on, listening to those songs, like looking out the window pretending you're in a music video yes of course yeah big time well you need that i mean i i i had such like crazy music you know like i was all over the place with what i liked you know i've mentioned before i really liked the 50s and the 60s i liked the 70s my father was very into music my mother liked music you know so there was all different kinds and i also liked the new things that were coming as well but I wasn't one of those people that was just like, oh, I need to hear, you know, this hard rock and, you know, prove my cock is big enough. You know, like I would listen to. That's why I listen to hard rock. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, maybe not. Yeah. So like I would listen to everything. Like I would listen to Van Halen and I loved it. Though I have to say when the switchover came and Sammy Hagar took over as lead singer, I didn't understand what the hell happened. And I thought I went nuts. But that's a whole other story. So I'd listen to like Van Halen and then I would be doing Elton John. I used to listen to Elton John and play Wolfenstein on the computer. Good combo. Yes. I would listen to Tina Turner because I thought she was awesome. You know, my dad would get the Cat Stevens going. So I'm doing some Morning is Broken, some Peace Train. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm doing that Father and Son. Like all eclectic. over. Yeah. Right. Like I'm telling you, it's all over the map. You know, and like my mother loved Frank Sinatra and Elvis. And then my dad hated Elvis. He thought that he was the worst, with the exception of can't help falling in love with you. Like that was okay. The rest for him, just get out of here. Yeah, my mom did not like Elvis when I was growing up. I don't know if she's changed her mind, but I think in Mississippi, like we were especially oversaturated with Elvis because mm. he's like a hometowner, you know, and everybody's okay. just like, Elvis and my mom was just like well I can't do it so well, the big thing I had because of where I'm from and where my parents grew up is Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah. My dad watched Mr. Rogers all the time. I mean, he was like my age and older, always Mr. Rogers. Yeah. And I would say to him, I'm like, why are you watching Mr. Rogers? And he's like, I just find it relaxing. You know, Probably because it felt like home to him. I yeah. mean, I did that a lot when, when I had moved from Mississippi to Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. um, the first year or so was kind of culture shocky and kind of a little bit difficult even though i ended up being much more fond of living in massachusetts in the end the first year was just crazy because i'm in this you know frozen wasteland <laughs> you know so at some point we went to see the movie oh brother where art thou right 
and it was shot where I came from in the Mississippi Delta and everything looks very hot and burnt mm. in that movie. And I just felt like, oh, it's like I'm home. So he probably had that with Mr. Rogers that just gave him that like homesick, you know, cure feeling. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I could, I could definitely, definitely see that. Well, speaking of music, if I can go back to your music discussion for a second. Sure. The music in this movie is freaking amazing. Nominated for an Oscar. I never, like... John Williams. Yes, exactly. I never caught that before. No. So... I don't, you know, I don't know if it's just because I take Christmas movie music for granted or something, or I I had seen this more when I was a kid and wasn't really thinking about scores, you know, whereas now I'm kind of thinking about it more focused on it. But the score in this movie, like, really elevates the movie a can't lot. Agree. I can't agree more, I should say. Yeah, I, I'm right with you. I, I don't know how I wasn't more aware of it. I think it's just because the score was so beautiful and it did its job. Yeah. Tugged at the heartstrings, pushed you forward. What I always think of when I remember the music in this is the carol of the bells. Oh, yeah. That's that's the part that I always remember. And honestly, what I would do when I would watch this movie at home is I would actually go directly to that part. I kind of wanted like the lead up right before the final confrontation. Because for me, that was my my favorite part of the film. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, John Williams, I used to listen to the Star Wars soundtrack all the time. You know, I had all that. I had the original Star Wars. I had Empire Strikes Back. I had Return of the Jedi, Imperial March, my favorite, you know, <laughs> like so I would groove out to that. And I actually had friends that really got me thinking even more about scores, you know, when I was in high school. But, uh, yeah, I wasn't to that point yet. Like, again, I like the Star Wars, and this is John Williams. Yeah. But, again, I never thought of it. I just never thought of it. Yeah. But it, what it does is it brings an emotional element to the movie, mm-hmm. I think. Um, the whole kind of subplot with the neighbor, Marley, um, and, you know, Kevin first hears that this guy is a serial killer, so he's terrified of him. He runs into him in the store and, like, runs away with the toothbrush. Right. He inadvertently shoplifts, you know, because he's so terrified. And then, you know, he uh, later ends up seeing him in the church and they actually talk and he understands, hey, this is just a regular guy. You know, there's like this emotional undertone to all of that. And then, you know, of course, the last thing we see after Kevin's been reunited with his family, as he looks out the window and sees Mr. Marley reunited with his son, who they have been estranged because of an argument. Um, And he's hugging his granddaughter, which is awesome. Well, I, I have to say that the interaction with Marley in the film is fantastic. It makes me think initially of To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, because it'd be Radley. Correct. Nice. Okay, so we have that. You know, he thinks this guy is a killer. And the way that we see him in the film looks like he's a killer. And I believe he's called like the South Bend Shovel Slayer. But yeah, so it's like you're scared of this guy. You don't feel like he's going to be friendly. You know, and the actor, Roberts Blossom, has this long, long career, you know, and he's incredible, and he knows exactly how to play it. Oh, yeah. And so when they have this scene in the church, you know, Kevin thinks, oh, my God, like the Crypt Keeper is going to kill me <laughs> right here in church as I listen to this beautiful music. And he finds out that old man Marley's actually a pretty cool dude. Yeah. You know, and it's like he goes, 
Kevin goes through such a change in this. He goes from being a child into an adult. Now, I kind of feel like he goes from being a child to an adult, and then once his parents are back and everything's safe, he kind of steps back a little and gives himself some time to breathe and enjoy childhood. At least that's the way I think of it. But, you know, when he's there with Marley, and Marley is like saying, you know, he's there to see his granddaughter singing, but he can't come to see her later singing because of the fight, like you said, with right. the son that nobody remembers why, but they were like, we're never talking again. And then Kevin's like, you know, why don't you call him? You know, and it's like, it's so impressive to me when someone can actually help someone make a positive change in their life. And I also think part of it is because Kevin is a kid. And he's innocent. Yes, that Marley would would listen or entertain this thought. Because I think about, you know, it, your average situation. I mean, you have friends that are close and, and they'll talk to you. Um, but, you know, your average Joe off the street, you know, if you have like this deep issue with a family member, like, why don't you give them a call? I'd be like, why don't you go fuck yourself? You know, mind your own business. <laughs> yes, you know? but I think because, it, well, I don't think Kevin would have felt free to give that advice if he wasn't like a young, innocent kid, yeah. you know, because when you're a kid, I think, you know, you don't understand necessarily why grownups might have, you know, these long-standing beefs, you know, no. because you're a kid and your memory is like just shorter, you know, you just, you don't sweat stuff like that as much, I think. And he has, like, this innocent view, like, well, why don't you just call him? You know, why don't you just fix it? And that does drive Marley to do that, which is wonderful. And it also opens Kevin up where he actually talks about, you know, his own kind of loneliness and dissatisfaction with himself. You know, he says, like, I haven't really been good this year. Right. You know? And he kind of reflects on himself in a certain kind of way, which is part of his growth process, too. Well, sure. And also, it's what he talks about, which I love, is he gives him an example. He's like, you know, Marley's like, oh, you know, he's like, I'm scared to call him. You know, what if, what if he doesn't want to talk to me? Kevin's like, well, call him and see what happens, and then you know. And then Kevin's like, you know, I used to be scared of the basement. <laughs> You know, it smelled funny. It was dark. You know, it was scary. And he's like, you know, so I went down there to do the laundry, you know, and, and once I put the lights on, did the laundry, everything was okay. And it, it's so wonderful how he puts it so simply, because yeah. honestly, you need to hear that sometimes from people. Because just as I told you, I, I could be defensive with someone as an adult. You know, honestly, there is like there are so many options in life that honestly it's like you do or not do there is no try right <laughs> it's like you can make the choice and and you can go ahead and you can make something work and i i love that you know i've tried you know times in my life to help other people out and i've had people help me you know and and it is sometimes that outside perspective you know because you're just so wrapped up yeah. You're just so wrapped up. And it's like, it's such a BS thing that Marley has with his son. He doesn't even remember what it's about. Yeah. And that just, that does happen a lot when you're an adult. Like you let, you know, your feelings get in the way of right. practicalities. And, you know, it takes like this kid to make Marley see that. I mean, that scene and really that whole arc of that subplot is so much more important to the movie than I I would have even remembered, like, 
Honestly, I didn't even remember that. Like oh, I wow. told you, like the thing I remember about this movie was, you know, the kid being by himself and like at first he's so excited about it. He can watch whatever he wants on TV, which, you know, he's watching this Angels with Filthy Souls. Oh, I love that. And, I love that. Uh, you know, that's probably not something his family would let him watch, you know, because it has like the the gangsters and the shooting and all this. So he gets to watch whatever he wants to. He gets to order a cheese pizza. Mm, and I he, loved it. And, yes, you love cheese pizza. Yes. And he gets to have it all by himself. You know, he doesn't have to fight with anybody. And he's the youngest. So, you know, he always gets the short end of the stick. So, you know, he gets to do all the things he wants to do. And then he's playing at being an adult. You know, he's right. like putting on the aftershave, which leads to that famous scene. Of him, like, yelling with his hands on his face, you know, that was parodied, like, so many times it could make you ill, you know, <laughs> when we were that age. Um, and so, you know, he does all the stuff. He, I love it when he's, like, making his dinner before the wet bandits show up and he has, like, his little bowl of, you know, macaroni and cheese or whatever, and he has a wine ga- a wine glass with milk in it, <laughs> you know. I mean, he's, like, pretending to be an adult. And then, you know, you have this Wet Bandits part, and that's the part that I remembered as well. Like I said before, I would have been convinced that that was, like, more than half of the running time of the movie was him, like, fighting with these bandits and doing all these, like, Rube Goldberg devices and stuff. But it's not that much time. It's it's really more about, you know, him becoming lonely, you know, finding time to miss his family and we have, like, a few little things about, uh, with, like, interspersed with his mother trying to get back to him and how much trouble she has, you know, getting home. But it's mostly, like, this kind of emotional journey for Kevin. That's what the movie kind of comes down to in the end. And I really didn't remember it that way. When you get older, I mean, it, it really maybe changes. I'm, yeah, maybe I'm old and dumb. I don't know. <laughs> I would not say that you're I'm dumb. I'm like going senile. No. <laughs> I mean, what I remember the most is like, you know, remember when we used to actually get previews of movies on television? It's mm-hmm. not like we had to watch an ad and the whole business there. So it's like I, I remember always, you know, Kevin screaming. And I also remember, you know, being a young kid at the time, all the guys trying to make up some situation where they had to put, you know, like some aftershave on their face or something that would burn their face so they could scream. And they'd be like trying to make it like it's just it's just normal. Yeah. So, you know, I was like shaving and then I went to put on this aftershave, but I guess I put too much and it really burned and I screamed. (laughs) And it's like, who is this person? And all my friends sounded just like that. (laughs) You were only friends with like country club rich guys for <laughs> movies yeah like thurston howell yeah you know, that was thurston my howell the 15th <laughs> but yeah. yeah i mean that was that was a big part of it and i i think the reason that you remember the showdown at the end of the film so much is because that is that's why we went that's why i went i went because i wanted to see this kid versus these adults yeah well i mean i think i think that you're 100 percent right because you know, it's really the slapstick, right? I mean, it's like this huge slapstick sequence right. of these guys getting burned and falling down on ice and, like, 
stepping on a nail, which is the most, I can't even watch that thing. No, I shut my eyes. I have to look away. But, you know, it's very like Three Stooges almost. That's exactly it. And that wasn't something I was ever that big of a fan of. I mean, I watched those things. But I just wasn't that into it. And I think that's why I, at the time, didn't really feel that excited to watch this movie. Like, everybody I knew was going to see this. And they were telling me it was great. And they loved it. And it was awesome. And, you know, some people in my family wanted to see it. But I was just kind of like, eh. Because, you know, watching these people get beat up didn't really appeal to me. I didn't really find that as funny. I find it funny on, like, cartoons, like on Looney Tunes, you know, Daffy Duck's always getting blown up and things like that, and I love that, but in real life, I don't know, maybe I was just, like, a little oversensitive about, you know, pain, people in pain or something, but I, that didn't really appeal to me, I didn't really find it that funny, um, and that is kind of what I think that the movie was just presented as on all the ads, like, come and watch these bad guys get, you know... Daffy Ducked. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. I mean, for me, I watch Three Stooges and I watch so many different broad slapstick comedy pieces. And what I liked the most in those was the verbal humor. Mm, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, the disguise, the costume, you know, the quick asides. That's what I liked. With the Three Stooges, I liked them the best when they worked together. You know, I, I never really loved... You know, them just pounding the tar out of each other, though I know that that was a big draw. That, to me, I never found funny. I just felt like, okay, that's part of their deal. Let's get to the part that I like, you know, with the jokes. And that also extended into cartoons as well. Um, I wanted Wiley Coyote to win. I think <laughs> the Roadrunner is super smug. I think he's a real jerk. And, you know, Wiley Coyote, he did so much work. He did so much work. Like, Acme really should have recognized him, you know, backed him up. You know, like, think about that. He was like a product tester for them. You know, he was their biggest spokesperson. You know, Wiley Coyote wrote, like, five-star reviews of everything, talked about how Acme was so great. I bet you they didn't even give him a discount. I don't even think they gave him 5% off. They're just like, here you go. And, and you know, they needed to help him out because the Roadrunner is a jerk. Yes, well, the Roadrunner was kind of a jerk. I mean, I think what you got from this is, like, the action movie element of it. Like you said, like, the baby diehard. Yes. You know? Um, And, yeah, I'm not, like, the one-liners. You know what I mean? Like, when Kevin is, like, beating them up, you know? And he's at the top of the stairs, and he's like, you guys give up, or are you thirsty for more? (laughs) You know? He's, like, taunting them, like... Yeah, I, I really am, like, obsessed now with this being, like, Die Hard, because it's, like, a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. You have, like, the one man against all the bad guys who are much, you know, more prepared and well-versed. Yeah. It's very smart. That was a really smart point. I love it. The other thing that I want to bring up that it's very much like is Skyfall. It's like the ending of Skyfall, because they don't have, really, any weapons. They have, what, a shotgun, a knife, you know, and, and they're trying with the very little resources that they have to build all these traps to fend off this hardcore team of terrorists. Yeah, and the only real advantage they have is that they know the turf better. And that's the same thing with Kevin. It's like he's defending his own home. Mm -hmm. So he knows, like, what the entrances and exits are and, like, you know, how to get around. 
Well, and the funny part is Bond hates his house. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it had to go, but I, I don't think he really cried about it. But yeah, it was that was very. That's uh, great that Skyfall, the end of Skyfall, is just Home Alone. <laughs> it's, I mean, again, it's the hardcore Home Alone. And, and someone had pointed that out to me once. It, it was my brother Marty. He goes, Yeah, he's like Skyfall, the end's like Home Alone. And I was like, Wow, <laughs> I never thought about that. I love it. Way to go, Marty. I know, I know. It that was, was really smart. smart. Yeah, so it's. You know, these these are the things that, that we see. I mean, we, we do see all these parallels, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So the weirdest thing, okay, this is super weird. So I worked customer service for many, many years, and it's really funny who will call you when you do customer service. One time I talked to a friend from college that I hadn't seen in years. It and was... they just randomly get assigned to you, Correct. Right? And I was like... <laughs> what you know what i mean and so it was just like you know we chatted it up i'm like Lindsay. you know what i mean she's like john and i was like okay you know what i mean it was totally wild so we chatted it up it was great to connect and also now this is not someone i knew at all and he has since passed away i once actually spoke to john hurd <laughs> on the telephone now john hurd went to the same college as me he went to clark university and, you know, he was very active as an actor. He worked a ton. And, you know, I always remember him from Beaches. I think that was my favorite thing of his, was his work in Beaches. He was so solid in that. I really liked him. And he's the father, of yes. course, in this movie. He's Peter McAllister. Yeah. And so it's like when I see him, it's like, oh, wow, I kind of remember talking to this guy on the phone. And... <laughs> John heard, I, I told him, I was like, you know, as an actor, do you have any advice? And he's like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. It, it was uh, it was very funny. He talked about how much he loved The Sopranos. Yeah. You know? And I talked to him about competition as an actor. I said, what's that like when you're out there? And he's like, oh, you know, you're always fighting for another job. And it's like, you know, you get the job and you're really happy. And they're like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and then next time it's the other way around. And again, B, I was like... But, I mean, you're, you're still buddies, though, right? You're still friends. He's like, yeah, of course you're still friends. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's just the way it is. You know, he was great. So it was like we chatted for a while just about acting. It was very nice. I, I didn't want to keep him too long. Um, and then years later, I actually uh, worked with someone on an industrial that actually knew John Hurt. Yeah, that's funny. So you guys kind of cross a lot. Well, he's really good in this movie because he kind of plays this dad who's kind of trying to deal with all this stuff and just, he seems like he's pretty calm most yeah. of the time. Yeah. I mean, even when, you know, they've left their kid back <laughs> home by himself, the mom is like having a nervous breakdown, but he's just kind of like, all right, it's going to be okay. We're going to figure it out, you know? And, you know, the funny thing, of course, is that they show up like maybe a minute after the mother who's right. gone through hell to get there. You know, she's flown like to the wrong place, basically, mm -hmm. to try to get another flight back and ended up riding in a rental truck with this polka band. <laughs> that seemed like a good time, though. That oh, yeah. seemed like a good time. Of course. But if I you're mean, thinking about your kid being gone, it's not as yeah. good of a time as it could And have also, been. it must have been, like, so cold in there. Oh, yeah. Because there's, like, no insulation. No, it's it's awful. But, you know, she gets back, and then, like, two seconds later, here the rest of the family pops up, because they just took the flight that she didn't want to wait for. 
That's so funny. I mean, I love when stuff like that happens in real life because I've had that. Like, I've gone through hell and high water to get somewhere. It literally made no difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's very funny. That's how it is in L.A. Like, I mean, that's what I kind of try to explain to people when I'm driving to work, for example, because my work is, like, 50 miles away. And it's like, well, if I leave at 630... I get there pretty much at the same time as if I leave at 7.30. Yeah. So I just leave at 7.30. So I don't have to spend the extra hour sitting in traffic. Um, Yeah. That's beside the point. But anyway. The last thing I kind of want to discuss is Macaulay Culkin quickly. Because this movie can't exist without Macaulay Culkin. This kid is like one of the most phenomenal kid actors of all time. He, like, has this maturity beyond his years. He has, like, you know, a real consciousness of what he's doing. And he's just, like, almost, like, I don't know. I guess I'm just thinking about the time. He's kind of like a real-life, like, Bart Simpson. <laughs> you know good, what I mean? That's very good. That's very good. Because, like, he's, he's self-aware. He's kind of smart but also kind of a little bit of trouble yeah you know and it's just like he came along at the right time you know it was very funny because i read that like joe pesci said you know you couldn't have had anybody but macaulay culkin because he's not really a kid he's like you know an old man in a kid's body (laughs) and i just wanted to shout out macaulay culkin for doing such a great job with us and i can't imagine that it was easy to be like this much of a phenomenon, you know, and be so famous when you're like that age. But, you know, he's come out good in the end. Oh, yeah, he's great. I mean, he has so many scenes with adults and he performs so well. And I mean, Joe Pesci, I mean, incredible. Daniel Stern, incredible. I mean, all of them. Catherine yeah. O'Hara, John Hurd, we can go down the line. Every single person, Roberts Blossom. You know, all of them. These are really well-established actors. And they're very strong. You know, and I even feel like, for the most part, except when we actually get to the very slapstick moments where the wet bandits are being hurt, for the most part, I feel like they're they're going out of their way to play it very straight. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's the same thing, like, with John Hurt. I feel like, you know, okay, we're going to make everybody kind of, you know, locked down so that we can have, you know, the real wild horse in the stable be Kevin, you know, because we don't know what to expect. And the biggest gag in the film, like you said, is him playing that gangster film. Yeah. And that audio, like what he does to the pizza kid. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great scene where the pizza kid is just coming up to deliver the pizza and he's like playing parts of the movie because he doesn't kind of want the guy to know that he's like a little kid by himself there. Right, yeah. So he, you know, plays this gangster movie and the kid's like running out of there thinking he's getting shot at. It was really funny. It was great. It was so smart. Yeah. But I've never done anything like that where I tricked someone, you know, with, with a recording. But I, I think that that's uh, very cool. It's very funny. I mean, there were like some radio gags, if you remember, when yeah. we were growing up. Oh, with, yeah. Like, Al Pacino voice and Schwarzenegger. I remember the Schwarzenegger one. I don't remember who did it, if it was just like some local DJs or something that were doing prank calls. But they would do it over and over with the Arnold Schwarzenegger quotes from like Kindergarten Cop and Predator. And it was so funny. Oh, yeah. my God. It's hilarious. But... It was great. Anyway. Nothing. Right. All right. Well, do you have anything else to add? 
Home Alone, still fun. Yeah, still, still enjoy fun. it. You know, I definitely get something different out of it now that I'm older. Definitely. It's still funny. It has that nostalgia that you love. Absolutely. You know, it's right there. It's like a very warm, hot chocolate <laughs> with the marshmallows melted just right. <laughs> the snow lightly falling. The perfect Christmas tree, you know, and the lights glowing. And it's nighttime and you can hear, you know, the Charlie Brown music. You can oh, hear yeah. Linus and Lucy and you're That's feeling great. great. You know, and then you can switch over to all the other hits, you know, like Carol <laughs> of the Bells, you know. I I really uh, think that it, it's just a great film to go back to. And again, it, it's like it goes back to my father liking Mr. Rogers so much when he was older. It does really bring you back to a simpler time, you know, when you went to school and you came home, you know, and you just had everyday activities that, that helped shape you and turned you into an adult. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have any home invasion situations. <laughs> I don't know if you did. But, you know, it's just like it's funny because it's like these are really the, the fantasies of a child. These are the things that you want to have. You want to be the hero of your own story. Practically, how would that happen? Right. You would need to have something so wild and just unexpected occur. Yeah. You well, know? And using your imagination and like, you know, empowering yourself as a kid with the tools that you do have. It's kind of like a really magical story in that way. And it's a great, great kickoff for the holiday season. Oh, yeah. It's, you know what he's like? He's like MacGyver. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, again, it's like all of these things, all of the things that we were watching at the time really came together. Macaulay Culkin is our action hero. He is, you know, the last man standing. The wet bandits are gone, you know. <laughs> For now. For now. They do come <laughs> back. But the bad guys, when they're really good, have to come back yeah, because we to. always want to rematch. Well, it's the ultimate showdown, right? Yeah. And you have to face off again. So that's what happens in the sequels. Maybe we'll do those again in the future. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us to kick off our Christmas season this year at Comfort Films. We hope you enjoyed this episode on Home Alone. Next week, we're going to be back with something quite special. Mm -hmm. um, we have watched the new film, Spirited. Loved it. Uh, really enjoyed it. That was a That's a new Will Ferrell, Ryan Reynolds film that's out on Apple TV right now. If you haven't seen it and you can access Apple TV, we highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and back in July, we had actually <laughs> recorded a Christmas in July episode that we never released with Sarah from Two Chicks Talking Flicks podcast. And we were really excited to release that during our Christmas season. And the fact that that stars Ryan Reynolds and then we have Spirited that just came out starring Ryan Reynolds. Um, and also, we are probably going to add Elf as well. We are definitely going to okay. add Elf as well. I mean, it's just like, this is the perfect time to do it, right? Because we have Spirited, which is, you know, these two amazing actors. Will Ferrell's been making me laugh for years. I know the same with you. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds, always incredible. And they're funny in a different way. Like, yes. each one of them is funny in their own very specific way. And it's a musical, which is yeah. not... You know, your standard fare. I mean, Elf is very funny. I mean, everybody knows that. So many great lines, so many great actors. It's going to be great 
to have an opportunity to go visit that. And then we're also able to go and visit Just Friends with, you know, with a guest. A guest. Yeah. So uh, it's really exciting. And, you know, the fact that we saw Spirited and we have this Just Friends episode ready to go. And, you know, we love Elf. And we just decided to do this supersized, big, packed with Christmas movies episode next week where we kind of just talk about Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds' Christmas. Yeah, it's going to be a Christmas three-way, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan Reynolds would absolutely love that joke, so I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank you. All right, so join us next week for that. We're looking really forward to it. Uh, And until then, stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody.